Hello, everyone. Welcome to Holbring Teaching, the podcast. I'm here with my co-host and my good friend, Laura. How are you doing today, Laura? I'm doing pretty good. How are you, Rhonda? Doing well. Thank you so much. Well, good. Well, we're, we are delighted to be continuing our talk with Coach Chris Biffle on climbing upward, self-care for teachers of Beloved Rascals. Um, if you haven't been listening to this series, we really want to encourage you to go back and listen to past episodes of this series. Um, it is such really great information and you don't want to miss a single episode. Um, Coach has been, has told us about the seven keys to help us. And the last podcast we talked about key D, which is the daydreaming key. And I was thinking today that, you know, which has been my favorite podcast and of the keys in this series. And every time we do a podcast, it's like that one becomes my favorite. Right. Um, yeah. Right. So I'm really excited for today's podcast because we're going to be talking about key E, which is the energy key. And no one else can see me but the two of you. But I'm needing some energy today. So coach, we are excited to get started on this key. Welcome to the podcast. Delighted to be here, ladies. Let's talk about the energy key. All right, you've got seven golden keys in this guided inner journey. And each of these keys unlocks another aspect of your mental resources. So we recommend meditation, we recommend deep breathing, we recommend a healthy appetite, we recommend exercise if you're a teacher of a beloved rascal. Keep all that going. But the truth is, it may not be enough for you. And what we've done in these episodes is describe other ways that you can configure the mental universe to help you be a greater servant to the kid who needs the most help. So let's talk about energy. Now we've used the number three as our organizing theme. So there's at least three kinds of energy. There's game energy, Laura. So you're playing a game, you're playing bridge or you're playing ice hockey. I know you love to play ice hockey. Uh, or here, you're uh, involved in anything that is so engrossing that it just is nonstop uncertain reward. Video games don't absorb energy of kids. They generate energy of kids. So one kind of energy is game energy. Laura, tell me about game energy. Okay, Coach, well, game energy, um, from what I'm hearing, it's kind of based on that uncertain reward. So it's just anything that's going to give you some uncertain reward. And that, of course, feeds into or gives us energy. Yes. Now, Rhonda, you've had many days driving away from school, tough time with Wild Jack or Wild Jill, and Unfortunately, playing a video game when your mind is spinning with anxiety and frustration is not going to do it for you. 
especially what we've done is we focused on the worst case scenario. You've got 10 minutes before you get home. You've just had a tough day. What can you do or say to prepare yourself to be a good spouse and a good parent? So Rhonda, we love games, but we're taking game energy off the map as an option for renewing our spirits. Rhonda, explain why though we love games, it's not gonna help us be a better teacher of Wild Jack, go ahead. Okay, so with this game injury, we're gonna have to take it off the map a little bit because it's going, it's too much energy for us to do what we need to do as far as getting us in that right headspace to come home to our parents, to our or to our spouse, to our family, and focus in on them and us. Laura, very good. Laura, one of the chief psychologists who's explored the nature of happiness is a Midwest psychologist with a wonderful name, Mihaly Csikszentmihalyi. And he wrote a book called Flow. And what he did was, this is before the days of cell phones, Mm-hmm. He had everybody with a buzzer and random times during the day, he would send a buzzer to people and they would write down what they're doing and they would rate their degree of happiness. Now you would think that the highest kind of happiness might be eating a good meal or having physical pleasure or being mm-hmm. at the Midwest equivalent of Disneyland but it turns out there wasn't one experience that generated the greatest happiness. It was a commonality among many different kinds of experience. For example, you're a stonemason and you've been working for 25 years, you're highly skilled and you're building a stone wall and it's a challenging project but you're really good at it and time evaporates. You're a ballet dancer, not a beginner. You're highly skilled and you're in a master class demonstrating to your students how how to perform some of the most technical aspects of ballet You start at one o'clock and all of a sudden it's four o'clock and where did the time go? Mm -hmm. This is called the state of flow, Laura. We've all experienced it. You can experience a state of flow if you're knitting, if you're gardening, Mm -hmm. if you're woodworking. Anything that involves a high challenge at which you have a high skill will produce a feeling of timelessness, ongoing energy, loss of self, full clarity, that's flow. Laura, explain some of the occasions when you've had the flow experience, go ahead. Okay, coach, let's see, Um, you know, I know this sounds crazy, maybe, (laughs) but 
I think so, like on, on a Saturday when I'm in the right mindset to like do some spring cleaning or it's been, it's been a hot minute since I've like really deep cleaned my house and I'm, I'm just, I'm in, I'm in the flow, I would say, you know, where I'm just getting everything done. And before you know it, you know, I've gotten a lot accomplished because my head's been in the game and, you know, before I know it, it's like a couple hours have passed. Yes. It's that feeling of intense focus Mm -hmm. because the task at hand is so engaging. You're not thinking about yourself. You know, Laura, you started with an aching back, but after a while you realize I didn't even think about my back. I was organizing and rearranging and creating this beautiful masterpiece of a neat house. You are flowing. Rhonda, any experiences recently or in the past of flow? Go, my dear Rhonda. Oh, my goodness. My brain is just not thinking today. I was thinking about um, like a time where I was working with um, my co-teachers and we were trying to get something done and we were just all into it and doing it. And time flew by. I mean, it was time to leave and we'd got so much accomplished for the tasks that we had at hand. And it was so cool because we were all working together in on it. I think that would be a time that I would think would be with this intense focus. We got that job done. We were all working together and time flew. We didn't even realize it time. It was time to go home. Yeah. It was challenge, challenge met, challenge, challenge met, problem, not, not untied, problem, untie the difficulty and boom and boom and boom and boom. That's what the master stonemason is experiencing. That's what the ballet instructor is experiencing. Uh, That's what Laura is experiencing in the colossal mess of her spring house. And she knows, listen, I can do this, but it's a big challenge. So we're going to call this kind of energy, optimal energy, because that's what Csikszentmihalyi calls it, optimal energy. I'm going to spend a little bit more time on it before I give you some very, very sad news. So you can be involved in a job, Laura, in teaching that is not very challenging and you have low skill. That means you're sitting there for two hours in detention. No challenge, but you got no idea what you're supposed to be doing, and that's gonna produce boredom. Boredom, low skill, low challenge, and you're conscious of every minute, not optimal energy. Laura, explain low skill, low challenge, boredom. Go ahead. Yeah, so low skill, low challenge, is boredom because basically you, you know, you, you don't know what you're going to do next. It seems like time is standing still. Um, It's just dragging along. Um, So yeah, I can see how that can lead to boredom for sure. It reminds me of our professional, professional development days that we have sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's so funny. Oh my dear friend. (laughs) 
It is not requiring anything of you. And the time drags on as if you're sitting on a stove. Low skill, low challenge, not optimal. Now, Rhonda, let's say you're highly skilled at something, but the job is a low challenge. For example, let's say you're a really good artist and you're teaching kids how to color. Now, that might be okay for a while, but your skills are so far beyond teaching kids how to color. Or let's take the dancer. You're a prima ballerina, and somehow you got yourself in a situation where you're having to show kids how to walk in line. Or you're a musician teaching kids how to hum. When you have high skill, low challenge, that's apathy. You just don't care. So many times people, and we know kids who in this situation, this, I'm working at the fast food restaurant. First few days, it was okay. But I could be doing so much more, and there's no challenge to this job, and I could care less. High skill, you're underemployed, you're not challenged enough. And again, time drags on but you could care less about this job. Rhonda, high skill, low challenge, talk about it. Have you ever had a job that was just making you cuckoo apathetic? <laughs> okay, so with the high skill, low challenge, that's gonna be like your artist, your dancer, that's got that high skill level, but is teaching just remote little parts of it. Um, I was thinking about even like a coach, like a soccer coach or a football coach or a professional player that is teaching you know, like soccer, teaching those dribbling skills um, yeah. if they're a professional player. Yeah, perfect. Now, Laura, teaching Wild Jack is not a low challenge. Teaching Wild Jack is something that requires a lot of skill. But here's the problem. You spend a day with Wild Jack, high challenge, low skill, and that is producing anxiety. Highly challenging to teach this boy, and you don't know what to do. You're not sure that anyone knows what to do. You're in over your head as an elementary school teacher, and maybe you got four or five. So high challenge, low skill in the classroom produces anxiety, frustration, and that's what this series is about, being honest about what it's like at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Laura, explain low skill, high challenge, teaching Wild Jack. Yeah, so these are like the days that we really – kind of struggle with our beloved rascals, right? So they're high challenge kids, you know, low skill, it's going to create a lot of anxiety. And I think Rhonda and I can both say that we we've, we've had many a day like that. So I'm excited to hear what you're going to share with us today. Now, Rhonda, 
sent me high as we said at the start. He said the ideal situation is when you're highly skilled at something and it's very complex, like the stonemason, like a dancer, like a musician, like someone who's fantastic at knitting. And that's when you really feel fulfilled and you feel full of focus and time evaporates. That is not what happens after a day with Wild Jack. The psychological theorists may tell us, well, you need to find something that you're really good at and that you have a lot of skill at. But if you're employed as an elementary school teacher, you're not going to have many days of flow. So we took game energy off because we can't make ourselves feel better by playing a video game on the way home. And we're taking optimal energy off because after a day with Wild Jack, we're in over our heads. Maybe we have little moments where we do something really hard really well, but mostly days with Wild Jack can be debilitating. So we're not looking at optimal energy here. There's got to be some other kind of energy. Rhonda, tell me how excited you are to know if there's any other kind of energy. Well, I'm super excited because now I'm, I'm confused because if I can't use my game energy, can't use that optimal energy, there's no flow. I need to know what energy I can use. Here it is. My friends, we have game energy, we have optimal energy, and I'm saying the third kind is divine energy. Now, I will always go back to my experience in Calcutta because it changed my life. These were nuns, women who had given up their life to helping the poorest of the poor in one of the worst cities on earth. Their patients came in near death and most all of them were going to die. So they never had a good day. They never had a successful day. They never had or rarely had a day of high challenge but high skill. Oh, very challenging. This person is almost ready to pass away, but I have the ability to save their life. No. So this is a situation of extreme frustration, extreme difficulty. But they carried on. I did not see a single nun over in the corner weeping her eyes out. I saw them caring for patients with every bit of their energy, with every bit of their care, in the most frustrating and difficult circumstances. Divine energy. Let's think about Paul. Paul is a great example of divine energy. He spent his life persecuting Christians. Suddenly on the road to Damascus, he's blinded by the presence of our Lord. He can't see for three days, and he gives up the rest of his life to spreading the news of Christ. And he's not greeted by crowds of people saying, oh, we're so glad you're here. He's beaten. 
His life is continuously in danger. He's jailed. He's flogged. And he carries on. That's divine energy. And here's the situation. Laura, you finished a day with Wild Jack. Mm -hmm. And you think back on that day. And you kept eye contact. You gave the side hugs. You got nothing in return but more grief. But you gave that child the healing that God would have given and is working through you. Laura, Mother Teresa said, God has no hands but our hands. Mm -hmm. So when we walk one step in Jesus' sandals, when we do that one thing during the day or in the past, and we know there's more difficulty coming, we have divine energy. No matter the challenge, no matter our skill level, we keep going because nothing can defeat the Holy Spirit. Laura, talk about divine energy. Goodness gracious, we need it. I feel like you're in my classroom today. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean... I, I kind of had a scenario like that where I had my beloved rascal was having a meltdown today. And so, yeah, just being able to, in those moments, kind of draw on that, that divine energy that comes from, you know, within comes from above, um, where we can give those students what they need in that moment. And it's not our, our normal human reaction, right? We want to just go, I'm going to ignore that or knock it off or whatever. But instead, we come, like you said, we come alongside and love and really give that child what they need in that moment. And I think that's huge. That's huge. Cause and it, I think because it's so out of character for our humanness. So we really do have to get that energy from the divine. Rhonda, what do you think? I agree with what Laura said. I mean, I think about, I mean, a lot of times at the end of the day, you're you're exhausted, you're tired. And I if you reflect back on it, I think, you know, God got me through that day. And I think that's calling in on that divine energy that you kept trying and you kept doing all that you could do. And I couldn't have made it without his help and support. Yeah, I think back, you know, on the last month or two, there have been some difficult times, some difficult times to which I reacted in a very human way. And let my emotions guide my actions. But there were some special times where I really did exactly the right thing. That's why I say I can't walk pace after pace after pace in Jesus' sandals. But I can take a step in a way that makes me feel like I'm doing the hard thing because it's the right thing. 
And that special energy, that special orientation is what we've saved these last three sessions for. Uh, the next one, I had called it initially friends, but I think there's something else here. And then the last session, we'll talk about God. So divine energy, it gets us through day after day after day. And it brings us the joy of doing the right thing as a servant to God. And I think if we can model that for our students, what a gift, right? When we yeah, can even for the other students that are not beloved rascals, they see you interacting with that beloved rascal. And I think that's powerful. Absolutely. Uh, Go ahead. So rewarding to talk about this stuff. Uh, I'm kind of learning as I go. I hadn't thought about divine energy, but I, it makes sense to me. And it's, it's uplifting. And let's see what, what happens the next couple of weeks. I would agree, Coach. So thank you so much for being um, on the podcast today. I really feel like that you're helping educators and people in general. We would ask that if you've tried these whole brain teaching therapies um, that Coach has talked about so far, we'd like for you to post it on Facebook groups and share with us how you are doing with these strategies that he's given us. We want to encourage our listeners to go to our website at www.wholebrainteaching.com for information about Wholebrain Teaching. Also, check out the Wholebrain Teaching official store for free Wholebrain Teaching resources. Coach has just added the update, um, his birthday present to us of the quick start with the new rules with those wonder words on him. So thank you, Coach. Yes, Bye. thank you. And thank you again, Coach, for your time and your wisdom and for that wonderful gift on Teachers Pay Teachers. Each podcast you join us um, on continues to help and inspire not only the people that are listening, but also Rhonda and I, and we're in different places in our life and yet you still inspire us. So to you, our listeners, we are thankful for all of you. Please continue to like, subscribe, and share this podcast with all your teacher friends and with your administrators. This podcast wouldn't be possible without you, our listeners. Seriously, we want to tell you that you are the reason we are doing what we are doing. So thank you for joining us today. And until next time, bye-bye.